Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and on our panel today, we have Eric Ostrich. Hello. Michael Reese. Hello, Elixir friends. And today we are joined with our special guest, Travis. Hey, y'all. Hey, Travis, can you just kind of introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. So my name is Travis Elnicki. Uh, my title is software architect at a company called Podium. And we've been using Elixir for almost so three years now. Three years now. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Nice. And I, I know uh, Podium is a local company for me. It's like in Utah where uh, Michael and I both live. And at the recent Elixir Conf, Podium was a sponsor. And they were, so they had a big presence and they had a little presentation. So we're glad you could come on and, and kind of talk more about uh, how things are going with larger teams and what the adoption has been like and that whole growing process. So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, one thing, Travis, that um, I would love to kick off the conversation with is understanding a little bit about your history, kind of um, how long ago did you come into Podium? What was the team like when you arrived versus um, how it is today? And, uh, and I would love if you could just touch on maybe one or two key points of what do you think the major changes have been? How, how have you taken and grown a team of Elixir developers and grown a product around using Elixir over those over that time? Yeah, that's a great question. Great question. So when I joined Podium, I was, I believe, the sixth engineer and 17th employee. And uh, we had just got into YC Combinator. Um, and we were not using Elixir at the time. We were using Ruby and Rails. And uh, the it was in the project was inherited from it originally was built overseas and uh, just by contract contractors. Um, and so we we were iterating on this Rails application and our primary focus was reviews. And we we help like get uh, help we were helping local businesses collect reviews for their custom from their customers. And the transition into Elixir really happened when we discovered that as we were texting these customers of these businesses that we were working with, the customers were wanting to text back, but we weren't supplying them with any kind of means to like for the business to respond and have a conversation. And uh, we realized that messenger aspect of our product was going to be a really important thing. And so as we like, we're investigating like how to build this messaging tool 
we were also at the same time kind of wanting to move away from the monolithic pattern and into more of a microservice architecture. We thought this would be a great first pass. So uh, we experimented with a couple of different tools. Serverless was really popular. Uh, so we built a proof of concept with serverless, serverless, and then we had like proof of concept with Firebase, and then uh, Elixir was the other uh, proof of concept that we built. And coming from Ruby, coming from Rails, we were really pleased with the familiarity with Phoenix and Elixir. And so ultimately, like that influenced a lot of our decision to go with the Elixir choice. Then uh, beyond that, like our team grew with the, the company with, it was really rapid growth. Uh, today, let's see, so I, yeah, so three and a half years later, we're at uh, 130 engineers and 700 employees. And we've, uh, we've had to adapt quite a bit with our team structure. And you know, a lot like, we're today truly a microservice architecture. And um, with that, what we did was, as we started to hit these growing pains with too many people contributing on one product at a time, we started to align our teams around products, around features. So they were, a, a single team would own the front end all the way down to the database. And so they're, they're basically all full stack developers and that provided them a lot of autonomy to iterate quickly on the product and, and deliver to customers and really gain an expertise for like the specific product that they're working on. Beyond that, recently we've hit into now, like we have really autonomous teams and we still want them to be aligned the whole like loosely coupled, tightly aligned uh, vision. And so what we've seen now as a pattern is where those autonomous teams come together, like a front end app or the, like a mobile app, web app. Um, we've been also putting teams to help uh, maintain the tooling and the orchestration that needs to happen for all of those teams to come together and deliver their product into uh, a single space. That was a lot of little golden nuggets in there. So this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is great. This is a good introduction to kind of get an overview of what yeah. does it take to grow a product, to grow a team. Um, it sounds like that was several years of growth, uh, if yes. I'm understanding the timeline right. Yeah. So, so maybe from here, we should dive into a couple of, uh, uh, into a few more narrow areas. So... Perfect. Um, one area that I would love to hear a little bit about is you, you talked about the size of your engineering team growing over those years. What does that process look like? How do you find engineers? Do you search for Elixir engineers? Do you just search for talented engineers in any language and teach them Elixir? Um, so a little bit about how you do the finding of engineers and then how do those engineers come into the project and um, get their feet underneath them? How do they learn the code base? How do they learn the process of the team? It sounds like they have these very independent, autonomous teams. Um, sometimes that independence and autonomy can mean that you walk in and you have no idea where to start because you could do anything. So how do you get oriented? Great question. Yeah. Um, so with the recruiting side of things, it's hard to find Elixir engineers um, 
just because of how new the language is, right? I'm sure a lot of you have experienced this. And so we, it's been, I mean, it seems like, I mean, someone coming from Rails is, uh, can ramp onto, we've seen a ramp, they can ramp onto Elixir and Phoenix pretty quickly. Um, at least there's a familiarity there at the surface. You get to the weeds, right? And it like is a different world, but um, the familiarity helps. With hiring, really, we have mainly just looked for referrals. So as we bring on engineers, they provide us with referrals. And as our engineers continue to network and meet others, they bring in more referrals. And so that's our primary source of new hires is really just from word of mouth and, and referred. Uh, and it, we found that to be pretty reliable. I was and then... Yeah. Uh, sorry, quick question. Does the company have a formal policy of like saying, hey, we will give you a bonus if you get a referral? Or is it just because people are just uh, like, they just have a network and like, hey, this is an awesome place. Come work with me. Or is it both? So you know? there is, yeah, there is some incentive. Yeah, it's both, really. Um, our engineering leadership team uh, asks for referrals. And we'll, it's, it's like when we're hiring, they, they seek those referrals, right? However, there's the other side of it where there is an incentive and it's not just in engineering, it's across the board. If you refer someone to Podium, you get, I think it's like a $750 bonus and then some swag on top of that. So we're, uh, yeah. No, I, I'm glad you touched on that just because I think um, as people think about how to grow a team, I think it's just a little, a little thing there, a little nugget there, like uh, because for myself, you know, I can just be totally happy with my job and I can say, Hey, yeah, guys, you know, I'm at this place and I'm, I'm totally loving it, but I'm not going to like yeah. really, I might not think to say, Hey, I really enjoyed working with this person. Come talk, come work with me here. Uh, but just that little financial reward just kind of like makes you think, Oh, Oh yeah, I should ask. And so just as yeah. a tip to, tip to people out there who are trying to grow a team, you know, little incentives like that are helpful and they, re- they actually work. Yeah, Totally. Totally. Yeah, I'll just give a quick plus one on that as well. I've um, so I've worked for a couple of different growing companies, and we've we've tried all sorts of things. Like we've done mm-hmm. recruiting events at colleges. We've done um, lots of just like job postings. Uh, we've spent lots of money trying different things, and in all of those companies, the most reliable channel for finding great engineers that the company was really happy with six months later was always referrals. And um, th- that can be tricky to do. There's, there's reasons that that's not always easy. Um, but the nice thing is that like everyone has the basics of that at your fingertips. Like however big your team is, if your team is only three people, the reality is probably those three people know 10 people each or whatever, right? And you probably don't want to go recruit 100. You probably want to go recruit three more or six more or something. And so... Um, I think it's a really good idea. And I, I mean, the, the financial bonus thing, I, I definitely seeing some cases where if companies try to offer really big bonuses, it can kind of skew or bias yeah. that a little bit. And it can make it feel weird that like, after someone gets hired, they're like, wait, you got money for getting me hired at this job. So like, that's not always totally clear cut, but I think providing a small bonus is entirely reasonable given how much money it costs to go do other kinds of recruitment. And really yeah. a lot of it does come down to networking and just that if I've worked with someone and I, I know that we work and get along well, and I'm currently fitting in well with my team, then it's a high likelihood that they will also fit in well and, and, and work well. And like, 
when you're hiring someone just kind of blind, uh, you just, through the interview process, you're trying to get a sense of this person and, and are they going to be a good fit? So you'd already have a little bit more uh, credibility or weight behind a referral. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just jump in and say that, uh, we do the same at smart logic. I think we hired one person eight years ago, but then we hired his friend who then we hired his other friend. And then it's just like, it just, it keeps going. So like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely works. One of the things that I find that we talk a lot about at the different conferences and the different things that I'm working on is open source software. And a lot of people have a lot of ideas around open source software, but we don't often think about the people who are building it and trying to maintain it. And I had a friend, John, who came to me. He's been a guest on JavaScript Jabber a couple of times. He came and he actually said, hey, Chuck, I wish there was a show about sustaining open source. And that really hit me where I live. And I have a few other friends who are working on projects related to this. So we all got together and we put together a show called Sustain Our Software. You can find it at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. And it's a place where several people who are passionate about open source come together and have conversations about how it can be sustained and how it can be maintained and what we can do to help these maintainers continue to deliver us value that we build our software on. Most of the software we're building is based on open source. And so it's important to us to have that maintained and have it taken care of. Come check it out. It's been really interesting to listen to the conversations that they're having from people who are working in it all the time and just hear what they have to say about it. Once again, that's at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. Where I was thinking about going next after kind of recruiting is what is the process for that person to come on? Um, I would love to know a little bit about the interview process, but I think that's it takes a lot of detail to, to get anything valuable out of that. So maybe let's skip interviewing and then go to your company's decided that person's happy with the offer you've made when they come onto the team, what does that process look like? Can you maybe give us, and maybe two scenarios, like if they already know some Elixir and they come on board, what does coming onto the team look like? And then if Elixir is new to them, is that a different process? Sure. Sure. Great question. Um, so a new hire comes on to a team um, they will go through a half day of onboarding that's like podium wide. So they learn like the history of the company. Um, but beyond that, they, uh, we really like want them to get their feet wet and write some code and get it into production. And so, uh, the, our, our team leads will sit with them and whether they're, they've written Elixir before or not, they will try to get them a low hanging fruit ticket to contribute to production. And so day one, we like to see those new hires writing code and pushing it. Awesome. And I, know, uh, I can imagine like as a, someone who's coming into a company and you're, you know, as engineers and developers, we want to show competence. We want to show that we are worth hiring, that we can actually add value to the company. So I think that's really important for their morale and just kind of feeling like, yes, I'm contributing to like, Day one, get them contributing something that, like that actually moves the product forward. So that's awesome. Now, do you yeah. do um, like start like bootstrap scripts to try and like help? Because I know like sometimes setting up a new laptop takes half the day right there. So like, <laughs> do you, like do you guys try and like get that faster? I guess. Yeah, honestly, today that's like a lot of the team leads' job is sitting next to them, bringing them onto this like 
product that has microservices that they need to understand and work together with. And so it takes, it does, it's non-trivial to get the environment up and running um, to the extent where we've actually organized a team around developer experience now. And so their main focus is kind of that zero to one setup of our entire system and to make that experience really smooth and familiar. That's, that's pretty amazing that you're a big enough that you have an internal developer experience team. <laughs> uh, and that, that's just, yeah, that's a, great to hear that, that that's a thing you're doing as well. So cool. Beyond day one, we, we offer a lot of training for the new hires or people maybe unfamiliar, maybe they knew JavaScript, but they want to get into Elixir. And so we do this thing every week. What we, this is what we call nerd lunch and it's uh, presentations that are given by our engineers or really anybody around technical things that it could be Elixir, it could be really anything. And we provide lunch for the entire team. And so once a week, we're able to get lunch together and go learn about something new. And then uh, uh, that also becomes a really good medium for communicating like team-wide, like alignment type things, right? Or new patterns maybe we've established. Uh, We also will offer, we do Elixir 101 training. So if it's like completely new to you, we do, we, you can attend Elixir 101 training. That's also every week. And it's also run by engineers here at Podium. What the, what the, uh, the Elixir 101 trainings are typically structured with a book. So they'll pick maybe like programming in Elixir and go a chapter at a time and, and change who's presenting and, and it gives uh, the learners an opportunity to teach and then also kind of a, a networking opportunity outside of their new team that they've been brought into. I, I just have to say, as someone thinking about trying to imagine myself going through that process, I really love the fact that it sounds like most of your approaches to this problem, A, involve human beings. There's not a lot okay. of like, oh, we automate everything about your new laptop or hey, we give you this like documentation site that you have to read the whole thing to get your environment set up. It's very much built on like, hey, sit down with your team lead. The team lead knows that they're going to spend the time to help the new person on the team come up to speed and try to get something committed to production within the first couple of days. Um, Similarly, your trainings kind of have this very like, oh, it's they're done by the engineering team. We don't bring in outside Traders, sorry. I don't mean to like say that bringing an outside trainer is a bad idea. There's lots of reasons to do that, and that can be a great idea. But the thing that I'm sort of hearing, and and I'd love to get your opinion on Travis whether this is a good read or not. But it the theme is kind of like, hey, it's our responsibility as a team to make new people welcome and to give them the things that they need in order to succeed. So all of us pitch in. We all pitch in by running like training classes. Um, some people full-time job to like help build out better tooling. But, but overall, there's, it sounds to me like there's a sense that, hey, we all work on this problem together, um, just like we're all working on the product together. Is, is that, does that sound roughly right? Yeah, you know that. Yeah, that's exactly. We really value a strong sense of unity on the engineering team. And that allows, I feel like that, hopefully deflates the, a bit of the imposter syndrome and allows people to get in and experiment and learn this new language that we've, we've been using. So 
So are there times then, Travis, that you do bring in any sort of outside trainers? Do you work with kind of consultants on that kind of stuff? Have you ever worked with Platforma Tech on any of their sort of professional services? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, I think the beginning of this year, uh, we signed up for the Elixir development subscription. And that's the Platforma Tech subscription service that they offer where we're able to file tickets and jump on video calls with Platforma Tech. And it's been incredible. That help, it's really been nice to have them even just say like, hey, we have this app. Like, could you give it like a quick high level code review and tell us where you think like we can improve? And that kind of feedback has been invaluable because it, I feel like that levels up our more senior engineers in the company, whereas our one-on-one trainings will bring up the, the juniors, right? And so having that subscription has been really great for our growth and, and for just our education in, in Elixir. Have you ever worked with um, Erlang Solutions or any other consultants or trainers out there? Yeah. So um, we actually had the opportunity as well to pair with Chris McCord. And so on a nerd lunch, we got everybody in a room and I jumped on this screencast with Chris McCord and he walked through that messenger app. Uh, I was talking about earlier and it was like, at first it was like pretty intimidating. I was like, Oh man, this guy wrote Phoenix and he's going to be like combing through this app that I've like, have been pretty like intimate with for the last year. And uh, it, it was like, it was such a cool experience. Like he's such a cool guy. He had a lot of positive to say, which was like a huge relief. It's like, Oh, like we actually are building in a great direction and uh, there was one part where he, uh, he called out, he's like, whoa, like, so what we were doing was um, we were using change sets to do form validation for our API. And so as like API requests came in, we'd run it through a change set, validate all the params and then hand it off to a context. And he's like, dude, you should write a blog post about this. This is really cool. And so like, it was, uh, it, yeah, I, I like, Dockyard and, and their subscription service, I'm, I'm sure is, is also exceptional. It was an awesome experience. Very cool. And I know uh, just from going to the last uh, Elixir Conf uh, that uh, Podium sends in a large number of people there. Yeah. So it was a, a good size force. Uh, so I, I think conferences is another one of those things that you, you uh, kind of do for helping to uh, level up some of your team. Definitely, definitely. Conferences have been... Uh, Last couple of years, we've been sending sending uh, engineers to ElixirConf, to Postgres Open, React Rally was another one, um, and it's it's cool because it's educational for the engineers we send. Um, but we'll actually have them come back and then kind of give a quick high level talks to our internal team on like what they've learned and what they took away from that and what they feel like we could apply to our our stack. So it ends up leveling up the entire team. Nice. And uh, so I know maybe this is a good point to transition into like as, as part of the, uh, so I want to transition into like talking about CI because when you're bringing in a new developer, uh, a lot of the feedback they're going to get is from hopefully the CI. So it's going to maybe be running like, you know, credo for style enforcement, formatting and, you know, validating that you haven't broken anything. So I just love to hear about how you guys have, uh, how your CI is set up and uh, what kind of benefits you see from that. We've gone through a few transitions in the past. When I joined, 
we were we were just on GitHub. We were using CodeShip to run the CI, and that's that's now evolved into GitLab. We do all of our CI through GitLab and CI those CI runners, and we'll do checks like what you mentioned exactly. So we'll do credo checks. Uh, we're really strong believers in unit tests, so a lot of unit tests will be running. Um, so below to check CVEs. Um, we also will do, we've kind of been experimenting with Dialyzer. We, uh, have, we do have one team that's been operating with Dialyzer in CI, and uh, I'm really interested in experimenting and bringing that into my team because I'm, I'm a strong believer, and I think those types will elevate our quality and, and help that communication. All right, so we need to take a quick pause because <laughs> that, was, that was another like, oh, we use these six things, each one of which has thrown trade-offs. Um, totally. So I think we've had a podcast, at least one podcast about <laughs> each of these things separately. So there's <laughs> to cover in there. So we can't cover all of it, obviously. We might want to do like a little follow-up here uh, with maybe some other people from Podium as well and, cool. and maybe dive into a few more of these rabbit holes, I think like, uh, interviewing could be a great thing to explore in the future as well as additional CI stuff. Um, one thing, uh, a quick question I had is, do you guys use the Elixir formatter? Uh, like, do you use it within your teams? Is that a project by project decision? And also, do you check formatting in the CI? Yes. So formatting, um, that was another kind of alignment thing that we wanted to instill in our teams. So with our autonomous, autonomous teams that we've organized, we went through every Elixir app and implemented formatting across the entire app and threw it into CI so we don't slip any further. And it just allows for like uh, a more familiarity again. So if you happen to move teams, you still uh, syntactically can kind of can read through and feel comfortable. All right. And then going back then to Credo. So Credo... Um, interestingly, Credo, I think, was around before Elixir Formatter um, and has some style checking in it, uh, but it also has a lot of things like, oh, you should always have a module doc or you should always, and, and it's a little bit more configurable, like, oh, you should always have a documentation for public functions, yes or no. I know that there's some more configurability. Do you have any brief comments on things that you think other teams would benefit from in terms of the way to run Credo or, or the value that your team gets out of it? Yeah, um, Credo, Credo is really cool because it, it also will like analyze your app and say, hey, like you're doing this in most places and you just did it differently here. Like you should probably, like I'd recommend you match what everyone else is doing. That's uh, a feature I really appreciate. With Credo, I really like the, the default config that they provide is great. With the addition of uh, you can opt into the ABC complexity checker, um, which personally, I like you, you'll hit it and you're like a little frustrated because you're so close to getting your code out the door. Um, but every time I've like sat down, I was like, okay, like how do I reorganize my code to get past this complexity level that I'm, I've hit? I've never had an experience where I've degraded the quality of the code, right? Like it's always been an improvement if I really like think through how to better organize. And I did want to mention uh, Sobolo because you, you did mention that one there and we have had a podcast about that one as well. Uh, and just kind of like give a high level intro as to what Sobolo does for you, like what the main value you get from it. Yeah, so Sobolo, uh, it's CVE checking. And so 
it will run and make sure we don't have any dependencies that uh, have known vulnerabilities in it. And we have that in every one of our projects. And like, I mean, we just established a security team and that was like one of the things they were like super grateful for was like, like additional uh, static analysis check. Right. Yeah. So just like to let people be aware of that. It's like, it is static analysis of your code looking at the AST. So it's able to kind of figure out what's actually going on and, and, and then saying, Hey, it looks like you have a, you know, string to Adam here and that could cause a problem or you have a directory traversal when you're referencing a file here. And so and it has like different levels of, so different levels of certainty uh, or severity. And then, so basically it's, it's noisy and you have to tell it that something is okay. So at least someone has to validate that what they're doing is okay for the project and in whatever context it is. So it's a great tool. I love it. We use it too. Cool. All right. One other tool that I think would be interesting to dive into, and I'd love to get Mark and Eric's um, viewpoints on this as well. You mentioned Dialyzer and that you're starting to use Dialyzer, it sounds like, within Teams at Podium. This is something I've heard a good amount about within the community. I know some people really feel like Dialyzer, if you want it to run in a reasonable amount of time, then you have to get some caching set up on your CI. And uh, some people feel like the total amount of effort that you put into it just doesn't come back in terms of the payoff. It doesn't very frequently catch problems for them. My experience, uh, so um, one project that I worked on where there was kind of multiple people collaborating, the number one most common bug that we accidentally introduced was that uh, we had, we were implementing um, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of different implementations of a single callback. And uh, the callback was one of those where it's like, oh, you were going to return a tuple and there's kind of like, hey, just keep going tuple or stop and report this error message. There's a few different versions that you can return. And the most common case was that like, oh, I returned a two item tuple instead of a one. And I really wish that we would have had Dialyzer on that project just because it could have, it would have always known you're implementing this function as part of this callback. You should have this return type. Let's just make sure that all the branches fit into that return type. So there've been times that I wanted it. I have added it to basically all of my open source projects and found it to be uh, valuable in several cases, but not, not so valuable that I'm like, oh man, I'm always going to add this to every team that I work on. So I'd love now to hear Mark and Eric and then t Travis, where do you guys, do you guys think it pays off? Does it take a long time to pay off? What value do you get out of it? So yeah, so I've I've only like dabbled with Dialyzer. Um, I added it to a project, I don't know, two years ago, saw all the errors. I mean, obviously they were errors, but at the same time I was like, I don't wanna fix this because it's a large project. I think I added it to XVenture and there was like tens of thousands of lines at that point. I was just like, nah. <laughs> uh, I have seen it in use. Um, our current, one of our current clients uses it. Um, they have it with CircleCI caching to make sure that works. And is it's actually it takes about a minute and a half to run on their projects, which is like a lot faster than I would have guessed for Dialyzer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I guess my main concern is that XVenture has a lot of, like you change one file and it can recompiles like 200 files. And so like my main concern is that I think I started sprinkling around type specs and whatnot. And so just like, as I add in like at spec, it is this other module dot type spec or like whatever, like that then links that whole file to that, to that one file. Like, so like that's, that's my biggest concern is that like, like it's kind of a dumb thing and I should probably get over it. But like, 
just the fact that like adding like adding the type specs everywhere then just like links the whole project together so you change one thing and the whole thing has to co recompile so if someone could tell me how to fix that uh i will be a fan of dialyzer <laughs> i will tell you how to fix that beautiful <laughs> <laughs> so i was looking at so uh you know we were reviewing at work uh, a coworker and i were just kind of reviewing elixir standard library code and i'm going to drop in the show notes a uh, link to calendar.ex, which is built into Elixir. It's like used for date time and everything. So this uh, calendar is a file that pretty much almost exclusively only defines types. And it is like a top level function. And then a lot of the other functions like date, date time, time, naive date time, they all reference calendar. So the calendar file doesn't really change at all, uh, you know, unless you're adding a new type. So that is an interesting way I saw of like, oh, that's a cool way I can uh, avoid that exact kind of problem of like these dependencies into these other what should be internal modules. So just wanted to share that for anyone who might be wondering about uh, strategies for that. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to give that style a go. But I can uh, mention like for Dialyzer, uh, I have seen a lot of value and challenge from it. Uh, initially, obviously, it was uh, very hard just to understand what the errors meant. And the Dialyxer has uh, some helpful Elixir kind of transferring it into that kind of syntax to help give you some better understanding. And here's an example of what this means. Uh, but still, a lot of it was just like, it was that mental hurdle of trying to understand what does this mean and how do I deal with this? And once I got that, uh, and it's not perfect, right? I still like sometimes like, what are they talking about here? Uh, but you know, once I kind of got that, then I got a lot of value out of it. And one of the things that helped me with is realizing when a type spec is actually valid or not. Like I might, you know, type out a type spec for documentation, if nothing else. And Dialyzer will say, hey, like what you type there is like, isn't even like real, like, you know, fix that. And it's like, that's been helpful. And uh, it has actually found bugs in uh, projects like work projects. Uh, like there's a, a project where uh, a developer had written some code and just through typo had you know, as a, a Boolean logic like this or this or an, and this kind of a thing. And just by typo had written something that was syntactically compilable, but it would never evaluate to anything but true, you know, in this like Boolean expression and dialyzer found it, right? It's like, this will never be anything but true. So that, you should look at that. And, and it's like, oh, that was a typo. And, you know, then you start fixing it. It's like, yes, this actually does find bugs. And so that was really cool. Uh, so I do, I do like it. One of the strategies I've used, uh, so it is part of my CI. I use it, so I'm also using GitLab CI. I have the, the PLT cached and, uh, and I have an umbrella. And so you can run Dialyzer on specific apps in the umbrella. And I do that because we have smarten, like smaller apps that are newer. They are clean, they're like running clean. And that Dialyzer will enforce that they stay clean. And then some of the so that you start with like the kind of the smallest, the dependencies, and then you can kind of clean those up and then you kind of work up to the larger app the, that, that has, that's kind of touching everything else and then clean them, you know, slowly get to work through that one. So that's the strategy we're using. So it's, it's not everywhere. Uh, I would like it to be in more places so that we could kind of find more of those bugs faster, but it's still valuable, but uh, yeah, it is, it is some work. Back when we were starting up new shows, one of the shows that got started was Views on View. And one of the things that was really fun about that is that I got to know a bunch of really terrific people in the View community. And furthermore, 
one thing that happened that really hadn't happened on any of the other shows, we actually got a member of the core team to come on as a regular panelist on the show. We have Chris Fritz on there. The other thing is, is you may recognize some of the other voices. Ben Hong, who's on the official View News podcast, is also a panelist on the show. He's worked for Politico and now works for GitLab. We also have a bunch of other terrific panelists that come on and talk to you about what's going on in the View community. And because they're so closely tied to View and they talk to people about View all the time, they're very up-to-date and very knowledgeable about what's going on in the View community. So if you're looking for a way to learn Vue.js, or if you're looking for a way to stay current with Vue.js and kind of have the water cooler conversations you wish you could have about it in places where maybe they're not using it, then definitely check it out. You can find it at viewsonview.com. Yeah, my experience has been very similar, Mark. I, uh, I like, there is a big hurdle to get around, like to understand like what the errors are telling you and you'll Google an error and it's like, oh, you're only getting this because something else is causing it to show that, right? And so you have to follow that error chain. Um, but I will say that like, after sitting down and like working through a lot of those errors, like at the end of it, once you, you find out what the issue was, it's like, oh wow, yeah, that was like, either my type spec was completely wrong or like my code actually had a really like bad issue in it and like it led me to it. So like, and the recently, I think it's Dialixir like has improved those errors quite a bit and that's helped. That's definitely helped, but I, there is still a bit of a hurdle to really understand like what it's trying to communicate as like you're working through that. I do really like the idea of writing those specs though, as you're designing your, your like contexts and writing your code, it like, it gives you an opportunity to really think through those contracts and those contracts could be like really crucial to uh, having a lot of people contribute on one app. Yeah, I'll point out one other one other time that I that dialyzer really I felt like saved my bacon. Um, I had some code that uh, called a bun it called another library several different functions in another library in a big with block. And kind of as it was going, it was like, oh, I should get an okay in something, an okay in something, okay in something. And kind of at the very end, I basically just assumed that everything else was going to be an, a tuple with error. Adam is the first term and some sort of message is the second term. So I had written that type spec about that function overall. And later on, I, I did a dependency update and Dialyzer then failed. And it was like, oh, actually, this other library now sometimes returns uh, an error tuple with three items, not two items. And they had a really good reason for doing that, um, where the, the second item in the tuple was sort of like a code. And so you could kind of maybe pattern match on like a family of errors or a set of common error types. And then the third one was sort of like details about it. And I thought, I, I can totally understand why someone would design that in. Um, but also I totally wouldn't have known to go check for that myself when I was just doing a mixed depth update on a project. Um, and Dialyzer you know, just said, oh, you, know, you might wanna document the fact that your function now can return okays, errors, or a three item error tuple. And instead, I decided to catch the three item and turn it back into a two item to keep my own contract internally. But, um, but that kind of stuff definitely, it, it leans me f towards having Dialyzer there, having it running, having the whole team get that feedback. Um, my biggest concern there is that the feedback when it goes wrong 
I agree with both Mark and Travis here, like, and Eric's point about your first impression, like if you haven't done any dialyzer before and you just push up a change and dialyzer yells at you, you're kind of like, I have no idea what to do next. And the only sane option you have is to ask someone else on the team, hey, what does this mean and how do I fix it? And that's, that's a kind of feedback that I try to avoid in the CI process. I want all the feedback to be very actionable or very understandable. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the definitely the, still the downside for me, but for the fact that it will catch those kinds of problems and surface them and, and get some attention on them quickly, the, the trade-off I think is still there for me personally. Well, Travis, I know we're kind of coming up on the end of our time and we, there's a lot more we'd love to talk about. Uh, like there's like to continuous deployment and Docker and how you're hosting it. Maybe we'll have to save that for another time. Uh, sure. So uh, right now, I think we're going to transition to picks. Okay, that's great. Eric, do you have something? Yeah, so my, uh, my pick is um, last Friday as of recording, uh, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening came out on the Switch and... Uh, was playing that most of the weekend um can definitely recommend it this was a, a game i played on the game boy color uh what link's awakening dx uh so it's 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 uh, fun to play through again and it's like a i think i described it as a weapons grade nostalgia bomb <laughs> so if you're uh, interested in zelda games definitely give it a go cool michael all right i'll try to keep this fast two quick picks um first one hacktoberfest is upon us this is sponsored every year by DigitalOcean. Um, I believe also GitHub has helped to sponsor it in the past. And it's uh, just literally a chance to say, hey, if you sign up, you put in your email address, and then they will watch your uh, and you OAuth to GitHub, and it'll watch for you opening PRs against open source projects. And if you open five PRs against open source projects in the month of October, they'll send you a shirt uh, and some stickers. And I've now done this for the last four years of Hacktoberfest. And I, I seriously love the fact that it's just a little bit of a push. It's kind of like we talked about earlier with, um, with bonuses for referring friends to a place that you work. A shirt is not worth the time that it takes <laughs> to open five meaningful pull requests. But a lot of times when I get to October, it's a time of the year where I have a few ideas that have been in the back of my head of, oh, it'd be nice if my library could do X or Several people have asked me if it'd be possible to do this. Um, and it, this is just a little bit of a nudge to say like, hey, go sign up. When you, when you start to open those PRs, you get some feedback like, hey, good job. Three out of your five PRs are open. It gives me personally just a little bit of a nudge to say like, push it forward. Let's try and get all the way to five and get these things wrapped up by the end of October. So uh, Hacktoberfest, love it. And we should be about seven days into it by the time this episode comes out. So you'll still definitely have time to jump in there. Hacktoberfest also, by the way, provides some links to find issues that are marked kind of beginner friendly. And so if you are newer to open source, this is a great chance just to dive in because a bunch of maintainers will have opened up issues specifically intended for Hacktoberfest participants to dive in and do something useful for their project. So uh, big thumbs up to that. Um, the other thing I wanted to pick is, uh, is a tool called Nats. Um, Nats.io is the link to it. And this is kind of a messaging, messaging tool that you can use to talk between microservices. So um, they both have a, uh, the ability just to like basically send a message to a topic and you can have people subscribe to that topic and you can do kind of request reply or just broadcasts. So this is basically like 
GenCast or GenCall, but for your whole production environment. Um, and it's a great way that it, it, it provides a lot of nice levers for locally. If you're going to be developing, you can kind of like stub in some services locally so that you can run things pretty easily. Um, and they also have an, an add-on called NAT Streaming, where you can have persisted streams of messages. And um, this is really good for like pub sub or event stream sort of patterns, event bus patterns but within a product as well. Um, and it will handle like message acknowledgement and setting back in time and all that kind of stuff. So you can kind of replay lots of really cool stuff coming out of Nats. And when I did a little bit of open source work for them uh, about a year ago, they sent me a mug and a t-shirt for just for having built out an Elixir client to talk to Nats. And uh, so they're very, very uh, encouraging of open source contribution. They've always been, I've had amazing experiences asking for help and um, asking for clarification on certain things. So just can't uh, recommend enough Nats as a good way to chat between your applications if, if that's the kind of thing you're looking for. Nice. Cool. That's great to hear people are uh, you know, encouraging and uh, opening and, and being welcome of contribution. All right. Mine is uh, thinkingelixir.com. This is a training course that I've put together. And today we've been talking about helping to bring people up to speed and bring people on board. And so this is a set of courses that I've created that is, help, that is really aimed at helping bring new employees who may be new to Elixir up to speed quickly. So you can even enroll them before their first day. And so they can kind of go through some of these courses on their own time and come in with a solid foundation. So when they get into the, and they're sitting down with, and they start pairing, they can be focusing more on your code base, your processes, instead of uh, how do I do pattern matching and what the heck is a tuple? you know, those kinds of things. So, and uh, it should be by the time this launches, uh, this podcast comes out that uh, the next course code flow, which covers uh, control flow and Elixir will be out. So give that a uh, check out and see if that can be something that can help you and your teams. All right, Travis, we'd love to hear something from you. Yeah, I have two picks. So uh, my first pick, I recently stumbled upon a podcast called Acquired. They, there's two hosts and what they do is they will pick a company and they'll really dig into like really thorough detail of their that company's history and what led up to where they are today. And it's really cool because they're, they're VCs, but they also uh, are technical. So I believe they've been engineers in the past and a lot of their fan base is engineers. And so they're not afraid to like stop on a specific parts and go really deep on uh, technical thought. And, and you kind of, you get a sense uh, technically also how like those companies evolve. And I, I found it fascinating to listen through. And then my second pick is uh, I've just stumbled upon this book as well. It's in beta. It's James Edward Gray and Bruce Tate's book on designing Elixir systems with OTP. I'm halfway through it right now. And it is like, incredibly well written and uh, really like succinctly describes OTP and Elixir and, and how to think about systems. And I've really appreciated their, their way of describing all of that. So highly recommend checking that book out. Awesome. Yes. We have talked with, uh, with them about that book and it's a, it is, does seem to be a really good resource and I would encourage people to check that out too. All right. Well, Travis, we've had a lot of fun talking with you today. Um, if people would like to follow you or uh, learn more from you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm underscore L Nikki is my handle. 
And uh, we also have a Podium Engineering account if you'd like to reach out to the Podium. And yeah, that's, that's the best place. All right, we will have links to those in the show notes. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.